ladies and gentlemen, let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you have given us a model of life in the Holy Family of Nazareth. Help us, O loving Father, to make St. John another Nazareth, where love, peace, and joy reign. May this place be deeply contemplative, intensely Eucharistic, and very vibrant with the joy of our salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, we, uh, I, lots of announcements. First of all, thank you so much to, uh, this is for uh, Radio Land out there. Uh, Dr. Matt Milner taught men's Bible study for the last three weeks, and we give a big thanks to him. And we also give a big thanks to all the men who help men's Bible study run, who open the doors, turn on the lights, set up the snacks, and clean up the snacks, and hymnals and all that. So great appreciative to all those men. And uh, like last week, I think I forgot a couple names. I'm not going to, I need to learn to write them down. So all those guys, I see a lot of them here. Also, Ted Cusack is coming in two Wednesdays, the first Wednesday of Advent season to talk about uh, estate planning, or not estate planning. Yes, estate planning. Well, just a variety of things. I, I would like to articulate it this way. He likes to talk about how St. John is one of your children. St. Augustine or St. Ambrose. I cannot remember, but uh, way back when, people also were wondering, you know, what to do with their, their estate, their money, after they die. And even back in the Roman times, uh, they would give it to their children, of course. And so St. Augustine would say, if you have three children, you have four children now, and make a church one of those. So um, it is about sharing with those, yeah, with those people you love. So Ted is coming. Information is in the life together and on the screens. If you, if you don't like to take paper home, it's also in the church announcements. That you hopefully get weekly news from St. John on Friday. For those who haven't signed up for that email, you should. You should contact Sandy Crow so you stay current. All right. Also, Advent today begins on St. Nicholas Day, December 6th, Wednesday, December 6th. Uh, as always, we'll have dinner and prayers, but uh, we will also have private confession. We've done this during Lent. We'll also do this during Advent now, as Advent is a season of preparation for the coming of our Lord's birth. And private confession will be offered from 515 to 615 in the chapel. So if you are interested in receiving God's good gifts of forgiveness of sins, please come. All you got to do is walk through the door. Uh, apparently we ran out of handouts. There's more handouts if somebody wants them. And Pastor Brizek has them, and I'm sure he'd be willing to hand them out. All right. One last, th or one last thing about today's services. And, you know, this is one of these things where I deal with, with the kids a lot, this sort of thing that is happening. Um, you know, too, people like each other a little too much. <laughs> so how that gets played out is that part of today is uh, the silence and the, you know, contemplation and so there are people who come or either leave dinner early or just come specifically early to pray in the nave, in the darkness, in the silence. 
and with you know, the spotlight on the crucifix. And we should maybe respect that. So when we enter into the church, all the fun we're having up here as we approach the nave, let us keep the joy inside our hearts only. Yeah, we want to internalize the inner life of, of, of God as we enter into today. Uh, and again, this, it's one of those weird things, right? Uh, I want people to love each other, but we always think about loving each other in one particular way. We have to realize that we're also loving each other when we respect those who actually want to say their prayers. You know, like if I'm on the bus and I'm reading my Bible, that's a sign that I don't want to be talked to, right? Okay, it's the same thing. When people are praying and, you know, we, we should understand it. Okay, hey, thank you very much for everybody for all the names for the calls should be in the life together. Uh, there's, there was one person who was nominated who actually who didn't uh, meet the criteria, Aaron Coggins. The reason why he didn't meet the criteria is because he's not currently serving in a congregation. That's a separate process. So like if we extended a call to Aaron Coggins, let's say today, the seminary could be like, no. Because they're the ones who decide those things. So that's a separate process for those who nominated Aaron Coggins. God bless them. I'm not saying he, that's, it's just, that's a separate process. And if we go into that process of calling a candidate for the seminary, then, that, then his name would be part of that process. Just, just in case you were wondering why that wasn't listed, that is, that is why. Um, all right, so part of that then, too, is you'll see over the next month or so, the call committee will be meeting, and we will um, hopefully be able to do all the work that needs to be done so that we can have a voters' assembly on December 17th. So, now again, part, part of that is uh, everything working perfectly over Thanksgiving. But I just want everyone to know that the call committee is going to be committed to making this process work, and we're going to put in all the work and work hard to get it done. Um, and, but part of that process is most likely interviewing candidates, so it's dependent on their schedules also. So anyway, so if you do see that in the life together, um, there could be a chance we just simply cancel it. That, that voters meeting, which means we'll just have Bible study at, on December 17th. So it's a win-win for everybody. All right, but just in case, I just wanted to explain that. We'll be able to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But, okay, is Stephen Nyquist here? I, did I, was that, was there one more thing I had to say? Okay. Great. Okay. We're picking up where we left off last week. And the Holy Family, Joseph and Mary, and baby Jesus. And we're going to be dealing with male and female, which differences with equal dignity meant for unity. This is something that, of course, is very pertinent to our lives together because we're all male and female. Uh, 
Yeah, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, reveals from the beginning. We are marked by this primordial duality of male and female. Like, this is, this is in us. Masculinity and femininity. Um, and what's great about that, though, is within the community, the masculinity and the femininity is, has got a certain richness to it. And it's only by both males and females living fully masculine lives and fully feminine lives that the, the community will be blessed and enriched. So that's really important for us as we discuss our lives together. All right, so male and female were created for the other. Now remember, God says, hey, let's make man in our image. The word man is inclusive, just like the word brah. You guys remember from last week, all the high school kids, right? Okay, so man in our image, male and female. So God made man, male and female, in his image and likeness. Okay, so male and female are created for the other, like to live towards the other. We have a stance towards the other. We're not stance towards ourselves, but towards the other, which mimics the Trinity. Okay, because the Trinity is a communion of persons. They have like father-son relationship, uh, son and father relationship, Holy Spirit, son, uh, all these, and then them together makes this community. So how that gets displayed is in Genesis chapter 2. And again, we're not going to read this. We'll, we'll maybe go to the Bible, and I'll read this later, but uh, for one incident, how masculinity and femininity, or how the restoration of masculinity and femininity is lived out uh, a little bit later. So if you want to look up these Bible verses later, feel free. But Genesis 2, 18 through 25 shows that marriage is the first and fundamental dimension of this call, how male and female live, but it's not the only one. So that means you don't have to be married to live a fully male life or a fully female life. We are going to get that to how, that, how we understand that later in the spring when we discuss the theology of the body. But, just in case, I just say that as a little bit of a disclaimer, because I, I just don't want people to be like, hey, you talked all that, but I'm not like that, so you're just excluding me. No, everyone's included in this because of the primordial duality of male and female. You're male, you're female. Now, I know that is somewhat of a, a confusing statement these days, but we'll get to why understanding that is healing for that. Genesis chapter 1, okay. This is really important for us as our life together. Genesis 1, 28 through 30, God says, have dominion over the creatures and eat here. And with that statement, he speaks both to male and females. So he's respecting the equal dignity of the man, the man and the woman. They both have this calling in, this is part of how they're made. So, and it's because they're both fully persons. Persons, as in the sense of three persons, one essence, holy trinity. That's how we understand the word person. Okay, since God gave this to both men and women, that passage then is, is never taken away. This is, this is all of our calling together. as male and female. We are, and not, we won't get into it much, but part behind that is we are, kings and queens of the universe, all right? And so we are meant to live this way. We're not meant to have one above the other and one under the other. We are meant to live as kings and queens with this equal dignity. 
Now that dignity is geared towards the common good of humanity. And that's really important. So, so we have to understand that everything that's done in the church is meant for good. And that good is not just for us. It is, it is outwardly focused, just like Trinity, right? Because that's how love, love by nature needs to get out. You talk, any, any uh, young men when you're in high school and you fell in love with a lady across the room, you just couldn't keep it to yourself, could you? You just got to get it out. You got this thing in you, right? One of the great, great uh, movies on love, Elf. How many people have seen Elf? Okay. <laughs> There's a, there's a scene where Alf comes into the room after his date. Does anyone know the line? Katie? I'm in love, I'm in I'm love, and I don't care who knows. <laughs> that is fantastic. So this love has to get out. It's meant to get out, and it's meant for the good of humanity. Okay? And so every person has that in the, or has been given them. All right? Of course, sin, right? We screw that up but through the forgiveness of sins. We've been baptized and given the Holy Spirit. Now it's, shh, it's on our way out. It's on its way out. That's just important because the differences between male and female are meant for communion. Elf is in love, and it, he doesn't care. He just wants it out. And what does he want in return? He wants, uh, I forgot the lady's name, the, actor, the, the character's name. He wants, he wants her to love her and him in return. It's, so this is this for communion. So the differences between man and women, men and women are actually meant to draw us closer, not to drive us apart. And, and it's in that difference that we are coming together to receive the other. This is very important for us. So this, this um, diversity between ma male and female is meant to bring us together, not drive us apart. Of course, this is a lie of Satan, where he uses our differences against each other, but they are meant to bring us together. And this is why in the church we have this call to restore masculinity and femininity. We might be upset about, like, oh, the world's going crazy. Well, no kidding. Satan wants to attack... The, the, the fundamental question everybody asks ourselves, everyone in this room at one time, whether you've specifically said these words or not, is you want to know who you are. This is the existential journey that poets and you know, authors have, have written about since the dawn of time. We want to know who we are. That question comes from the fact that we've sinned. And part of sin has broken our relationship with ourselves. Like we don't understand ourselves because of sin. And, but we know we're meant to know ourselves. We, we, are, we were meant, I mean, that's just kind of a silly thing to say. Like, I don't know myself. What are you talking about? Well, that's actually not very silly. Sin has, has hurt us. And... All, all, the, all the time that we try to fix ourselves, right? It never works. So we actually have to look to the one who fixes us. And this is something where part of that healing process is within the church because it's, I just don't, I'm not going to find out who I am turned in on myself. I'm only going to find out who I am when I give myself. 
when I look out of myself. So this is really important because Adam and Eve don't know who they fully are until they give themselves to the other. And we actually see, well, I think I bring this, I quote Adam here in a little bit. Somewhat of a tangent. You know what the most romantic thing a man can say to a woman? This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is, the most, that is the most romantic thing a man could say to a woman. Apparently not, no one else in this room agrees. <laughs> that is the confession that Adam says, hey, I make sense now. Because before, all the animals, now you all think that Adam's a biologist, going around with his notepad, a big nerd, and looking, okay, canine. Check. Whale. Check. No. He's going around looking at the animals because he's looking for somebody for himself. All the other animals have a male and female. So he's looking for another body that is going to make sense of himself. So he, he goes around and looks. And what does he find? No one. It's not good for man to be alone. So he makes Eve from himself, from the place closest to his heart. Again, we use the word rib because we think God's a scientist. Well, he is a scientist, but he's a poet and he's all the other things too. The, the Hebrew word is from the side. It's not, it's not like a bone. It's from the side, from the heart. And he makes Eve. And what, is, what does God do? Well, he just sets her out. No, he gives her to Adam and Adam says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I get myself now. And they only understand themselves living and giving, giving and receiving each other. So this is precisely what male and female are meant to do. They're meant, but... They're meant to do that precisely as a male and a female. So a word on stereotypes and archetypes. Masculinity and femininity are human gifts. That means your masculinity and your femininity, depending on male and female, are meant, are they're human gifts. They're meant for humanity. They're psh. And there's gifts that are exclusive to each gender, meaning only women can be mothers, only men can be fathers. And that is good, okay? But then there's also what's called, like I call them privileged signs. And privileged signs are gifts everyone, male and female, have, okay? But they tend to be privileged in a certain way. I mean, you know, maybe men are like this. But these privileged signs are gifts that need to be developed and exercised in all aspects of life economically, politically, professionally, culturally, and in the church. That means that a privileged sign, let's say men have, well, women have, will have to learn from men. And then a privileged sign that women tend to have, men need to learn from them. And then, even more, I know more about my fatherhood by knowing about my wife's motherhood. So all of these differences 
these are not stereotypes. I mean, uh, but they can be stereotypes. Those are, those are um, de uh, they're deformed understanding of our masculinity and femininity. But, but those differences then are meant to, to be drawn, and we only understand that from learning. And I have, a, a, for example, protection. Just, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a couple examples. Okay, it's the middle of the night. I hear some, I hear uh, glass break, windows broken. My initial response is to probably grab something and run towards the sound to, I don't know, really, to hit, hit somebody. <laughs> Holly's response is probably to gather the kids. Are we both protecting? Yes. Is there one better than the other? No, these are two different ways of protecting. Now again, maybe she grabs the bat and I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but those are kind of privileged signs and, and we are meant to, so I, I didn't include it in this week, but last week the um, picture of the Holy Trinity where uh, Mary and baby Jesus are kind of resting in the arms of Joseph. Joseph is, is looking outward. He's, he's vigilant. He's looking out. That, that's the sign of the protector. He's looking for danger to protect. But of course, Mary is protecting baby Jesus. Precisely by holding him close to her heart. So these are... Both are protecting, because that's a human gift, but they're protecting precisely in a way, you know, masculinity and femininity. But it's not just one person's or one sex job to protect. We both do this. Now again, and we have to be giving and receiving. Versus, I can never be a mother. Contrary to, well, I don't know, does anyone like musicals in here? Um, Les Mis, Jean Valjean, he says to, um, I will be your mother and your father. Now, that's true. He's going to try to fulfill both of them. But as, of course, does he do a good job? Well, he does pretty good. But of course, she needs a mother also, right? That's one of those kind of, you know, stress in the whole thing. But he still does a good job as a single parent. And, you know, she, collect, you know, grows up and is, you know, she, she grows up and, you know, is fully alive and a great adult. Okay. I'm just saying, though, is that um, only mothers can be mothers and only fathers can be, I mean, only, only women can be mothers and only fathers can be, only men can be fathers. I've got to slow down. And, but each of those gifts, even though they're exclusive to the gender, are meant for the other. And we will receive from that gift by living in a stance of, of learning. So that is not from a place of power, but a place of service. And again, we see this precisely in Adam when he sees Eve, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He is at the mercy of Eve because he understands that I need to know this woman in order to understand myself because I was created for her. It's not as if he comes into the situation and says, listen, I know exactly what's going on here, and you need to listen. Because I, you know, I was first. So 
Now, that's, there's no power in that, but it's a place of service and in living in relationship with one another. So this means then, that, okay, so what I'm explaining right now is that there's no profession that a man or a woman can't do, okay? This is really important for us. Of course, we, aren't, we don't do a good job of distinguishing. We like to conflate. So being a mother is not a job. Being a father is not a job. That's not a profession, all right? That's a calling, that's a vocation. And a vocation, the point of a vocation is precisely to give yourself to the other. It's not to make money, it's not to gather power or influence, whether it be in your own family or out in the world. Too many of us, that's a sin. Too many of us like to control things and tell what other people do rather than sitting at their feet, learning from them and giving and receiving. This is precisely the sin that happens between males and females all the time. But rather than understanding that, well, I mean, there's plenty of examples throughout history, um, but I'll, I'll just give you a good example. One of the things that happened in the 1800s is that the factories took men out of the house. Most of us men think, I gotta go to work and do this and that. No, you know what you need to do? You need to be a good dad. You need to, stay, you need to be at home as much as possible and, and raise your kids. You don't need to go away. So this is something, too, that runs up against, I think, most of our cultural, this is just one example, where we thought, saw this as progress, where we can get a good job, nine to you know, five, but you've, been, you've basically been taken out of your family. So families and our work, our professions, need to be rethought within the church according to God's purpose, and that might cause us to live a little differently than the world. We're not interested in going back to some, you know, previous generation because, you know, we liked it better. The other example, of course, is that, you know, the, uh, women must stay at home. No, no, it, none, neither of those is helpful because, and I, I get this in here, the equal dignity, and oh, I think I put this in here, um, we must distinguish this from vocation. Vocation is not a profession or a career. Vocation is the space for where you live a life of self-giving love. Right? Vocation is a husband and wife, mother and father. They're not interchangeable. The equal dignity and responsibility of men and women justify access to careers, but for masculinity and femininity to be fully expressed, there must be a clear recognition given to the value of their parental and family role. It is not a zero-sum game here. We don't, we don't have to do this or that. You're not more of a woman if you have a career outside the home. You're not less of a woman if you stay at home, and vice versa. All right, there has to be a harmony of the two to have a true and full humanity. So this is a challenge then for all of us to rethink our families. And then also to, as we look at other families, this is probably the hardest part for all of us, is to say, you know, too bad for them. Not to say too bad for them or look at them, how could they do that? 
It's rather than it's rather to say how as a life to, as a one family as, as a family of a church how can we love and support one another so that everyone's living their their gender full blast because it's only in then they can live towards the other fully. All right. So for example, a civilization of love is cultivate. Remember last week we talked about civilization of love is cultivated when the fullness of the true femininity or feminine humanity is expressed in a woman's activity versus a renunciation of femininity by the imitation of masculinity in the public function. So if we're going to have a woman who is the boss of your company, she needs, the best thing for her to do is run it as a woman and not try to be like all the, the guy bosses before her. She needs to run it like a woman and then, as men, we need to understand how that is being played out. Now, again, there's a giving and receiving. There's a tension. This is kind of the dynamic nature of family, which gets exhausting and stressful. And ugh. you know, but that's where forgiveness of sins comes in and helps us live this way. And and this would be then again too. So fathers are fathers nurturing. Yes. They're nurturing precisely as men, which will look different than the mothers. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to have you raise hands on this, but the way I nurture is a little different than the way Holly nurtures. And uh, sometimes I get in trouble. Not from the kids, though. <laughs> from Holly. You know, she's like, well, wait, well, why, what's, you know, although I, I don't, she, she never says that, though. She just, I can tell her, her body language. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a second, what are we talking about? I thought, I, I, I'm, I'm being a good dad. I'm, uh, you know, it's okay for the kids to jump off the six-foot fence. What's this? No big deal. <laughs> All right, so this is, again, so we're understanding that, you know, can women, could a woman leave a, lead a company? Of course she could. Why not? But she's going to lead it best when she is fully herself, fully feminine. And if she has any male workers underneath her, they have to be comfortable in their own masculinity, big challenge, in order then to receive from her. Marianne. I'm going to throw something at you. <laughs> Good. Yeah, thank you for asking that. All right, so we will actually talk about this at length at a nauseum. Well, I don't know, maybe because we don't have a, I mean, I try to do everything in six weeks blocks. So she asked, why can't women be pastors? Pastors are, if you, it, from 1 Timothy, I'll just, I'll just say this, it's, it's not a job. It's con, it, so if you read 1 Timothy, it is connected to fatherhood. Okay? And the best confession of fatherhood is men. Now, again, that's a much larger conversation, but that's, that's, that's basically it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more. We, we are in the stead of Christ, in, in the steed of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom of the church. 
the husband of the church. And he gives his body to the bride, precisely on the cross. And if we take a look at John 19, when he gives his life to his bride, which is seen in Mary, I know everyone thinks that's weird because we, we were thinking too literally, but we have to think spiritually here. Mary is the representation of the church at the foot of, of the cross. And Jesus loves his church. And through that love, there's a child born, John. There's a fruitfulness. There's a giving and receiving going on, and there's a fruitfulness. Okay, because Jesus joined, just his body is given. So where, in the, where, where is the body given to us, the church? Holy Communion. He gives us his body in Holy Communion, and now life is created. Right? We're meant to live outside, or there's an abundance of life. One of the ways we see this in church, of course, is through Holy Baptism. There's children being born in the church whether they're infants or adults. All right, so we see this happening, this, this family uh, happening here. And the best confession of all that is related to the male, the male priesthood, basically. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But the primary thing is, is being a pastor is not a job. Unfortunately, that has been, uh, over the last 150 years, We've transformed the idea of a pastor into being a job, a nine-to-five job. If that was the case and you came up and you said, hey, pastor, at the grocery store, I wouldn't say hi to you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not working now. <laughs> but nobody would do that. You'd be like, what's up with pastor? He's a big jerk. Because <laughs> you call me pastor. I mean, it, 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 we have to really think critically about this is that I, I, this is not a nine-to-five nine job for me, by the way. And, and I, I bet you you're happy for that. Because if you call me at 3 o'clock, be like, oh, hey, working hours. So, I mean, I know you call me at midnight, but working hours. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Click. No, I come and see you. Unless, like yesterday, I'm in Chicago, and there's, I can't get to the hospital. I, you have to wait. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Okay, so that, that's the basic premise, is that being a pastor is not a job. It's, it's a vocation that's tied to fatherhood. And the best fathers are men. There you go. We could talk about the history and all that, but that, that's going to that's gonna take a long time. Yeah, Max. Um, as you're talking about this family, H-E-L-P. Oh, yeah, great, great, yep. It's in that verse that he brought this woman out of him for one specific reason. Yeah. So if we can kind of focus on that, I think... Yeah, Max, you, this is great. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Now, unfortunately, how many people have saw, saw the movie The Help? Anybody? It's an Oscar winner. I don't know that many people saw it, but okay, good. Uh, the premise, right, is what? A maid, right? It's about a maid. Unfortunately, when we think of help, we think of servant or maid. And again, we don't think about it in terms of Jesus in Mark 10. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. We think about it in terms of power and uh, politics. So I like to think about it as, how many people have ever problems with their computer? Anybody have problems with your computer? <laughs> and you're like, 
don't know what to do, you're freaking out, you really need something. Do you say, uh, I don't need any help? No, you say, I need help! It's a life and death situation. I can't get to my emails, I can't get to my whatever. This is Adam. It's not like he needs a servant. It's an emergency. And he will, in fact, I think I actually put this in here. Maybe I don't. I have this, I, oh yes, okay, I'm, I did not put that in there. Without Eve, Adam's life would end up being barren and baneful. I used the thesaurus on that one. <laughs> Adam's life would end up being a barren and baneful encounter with himself. So that is, Eve is understood as help or helpmate, not as a servant. Again, that's a sign that sin is so pervasive in us. It is, it is like the computer help that you're like, I am about to die if you don't come and save me. That is what Eve does for Adam. I mean, obviously he wasn't going to die because he hadn't sinned yet, but he was going to live with this understanding of himself that he was meant for someone else and they weren't there. That's not, I mean, that's not a good way to live, right? I always say, what's the, what's the definition of eternal life? The kids always say, live forever. Okay, excellent. How many people have a paper cut right now? They're like, I don't have one, Pastor. Have you had one? Oh, they're terrible. Wouldn't it be great to live eternally with a paper cut? Ooh, wait, no, that, that's, not, wait, that's not eternal life. That's not what I meant. So you think about Adam living eternally without Eve. Miserable. Actually, it sounds like hell. Okay, so yeah, so Max, thanks for bringing that up. So again, we have to understand the word help Christologically. Mark chapter 10, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the fact is, so Jesus, well, Jesus is called a help, the helper. Megan. Yeah, I don't want to distract you from your outline. Um, okay. But to circle back on, well, it um, about women uh, leading as women. Yeah. How... Assuming that obviously we can't change the world in step of our fingers, how can we better operate when the assumption is that men should be, or women should be acting like men at work? Like they don't. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is, this is a great question. Uh, well, it, it works on both sides, right? Uh, it, to be honest, I think um, the biggest struggle on the, on the men's side is in schools. I mean, I don't know how teachers can teach 25 kids in one classroom, half of them being boys, and like not be crazy stressed out and hanging on for dear life. Unfortunately, most boys learn actively, not sitting quietly with their mouths shut, listening. But if I were to describe most schools, kids have to sit quietly with their mouths shut, listening. Now, women have a tendency to thrive in that environment. Men do not. So we're basically, it's very hard. We're, we're, we're cultivating um, boys to maybe not live their full life. What do they do? What do we all do? Okay, so Megan asked a specific question just about, about within work. Yeah, well, this is where... Um, 
It's a systemic problem, isn't it? Yeah. And I would, I would say that you have to pick your, what are, what, what are the, 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 there's two ways of doing it. The, the most important places, you could say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this my, my hill that I'm going to die on. Or are there, another strategy is, are there smaller things that perhaps can be changed for the sake of the group that your boss maybe is just unaware of, like, because he's, he, or whoever, he or she is thinking this is the only way to do it. I think especially as a, as a woman, if you're, if you're told, hey, just actually be more, more feminine rather than less feminine, most women will be like, hey, that's great, but I actually don't know what that even looks like. So this is a much longer conversation, and frankly, if you're not the boss, I don't know what you can do except for talk. Do you have an annual review? You can talk about it then with HR. And, um, yeah, but it's really, it's, really uh, it's, it's a difficult situation. I don't have a clear answer. Yeah. All right. Great. Let's, uh, okay. Let's, let's just, chur first of all, I love the, uh, the, holy, the halo repair. Isn't that awesome? I love that pic. Actually, I like the little father, by the way. That's how I felt when I first saw my wife feeding our children. I felt, I felt like a little guy. Because I was like, you know what? I, I, am, I am learning something right here about the strength and power of women. Holy smokes. Somewhat of a tangent, but very quick, because I want to get to John 8. Um, when my Audrey was born, we had a midwife. Uh, the, you know, everyone in that room was a, a female, except for me. And I, it was at the moment, this was like a very like, spiritual moment for me, as, as a lot of fathers, you might experience that existential moment. I realized that I was a guest in a place that is primarily for women. And I was, I was like in a holy moment. And I realized I, I need to take it in. All the while where Holly's like, you know, talking to me very sternly. and <laughs> But I... I realized that this is, a, this is a very beautiful spot, and I'm really, I'm really like on my knees in this moment right now. And that was just a really powerful experience. And then actually then I started looking at other places in my life. Are there other places where I should be just sitting at the feet of the female and learning more about humanity? And I think that's wonderful. Uh, if we can go to the end, right? So there's a, this is a big struggle, big struggle uh, in, in our today in our society, and um, so let's take a, a real quick John eight. So okay, the story of John eight: a woman caught in adultery, um, and Jesus does something beautiful here. Jesus, okay. So uh, just in case we don't know the story, a woman's caught in adultery. Don't ask me how. And a group of men bring her to the feet of Jesus. And he's trying to trap Jesus because if Jesus just lets her off scot-free, he's going against their interpretation of the law of Moses. All right, But of course, if he, uh, he kind of embraces her, then of course he embraces sin. So either way, there's this trap going on here. 
But Jesus, of course, doesn't play that game. He, he sees right to, to the point of things. So Jesus seems to say to the accusers, it's not this woman. Oh, by the way, all these thoughts, I, I just, this is a rift on from John Paul II on the dignity of women. I felt, I, I felt like I had to make that note because this is not my, I just, I, I think this is a beautiful thing. Is not this woman, for all her sin, above all, a confirmation of your own sin? Of your own male injustice? I think it's a great question. A woman is left alone, exposed to public opinion with her sin, while behind her lurks a man, a sinner, guilty of her sin, indeed equally responsible for it. And yet his sin escapes notice. It is passed over in silence. He does not appear to be responsible for it. Sometimes forgetting his own sin, he even makes himself the accuser. Who's the accuser? Satan. Satan. Ooh. As in the case described, this is John chapter 8, how often in a similar way the woman pays for her own sin. And, and maybe it's, it's true. In some cases, you know, it's flipped. But in John 8, it's specifically this. But she alone pays, and she pays all alone. What I think about this is, because I think about that painting, Behind Every Great Man is a Woman Praying with Her Family. And I think about this painting. It's the antithesis of it. Behind Every Woman is a Man Accusing Her. And why is that? Well, that's because of this sin that Satan has broken and broken our femininity and our masculinity. All right, so as a consequence, I think in general, you know, again, maybe I'm thinking about men a lot because I'm a man, but um, consequently, each man must look within himself to see whether she who is entrusted to him as a sister in humanity, as a spouse, has not become in his heart an object of adultery, to see whether she who, in different ways, is the co-subject of his existence in the world has not become for him an object, an object of pleasure, of exploitation, I would say an object of, of, of power and manipulation. Again, that was from John. This is all, this little section right here. Yeah, so this is a thing where, this is a real thing, and we all like to point fingers but we, have to, we actually have to acknowledge there's been a lot of pain given to men and women by men and women. And it's in the church, when we understand our masculinity and femininity to its fullest, that the healing can begin. And that can begin in a way that first is primarily understanding how we're part of the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. And, and this goes into a lot of things. And we, we haven't talked about, like, the, the, the rise of gender dysphoria. But, you know, our bodies say something to us, and we should listen, and that our bodies are meant to say something beautiful. And when we believe the lie that Satan has said they're not, it really, it really hurts our relationship with men and women. But, you know, there's healing in Jesus' words, and I think given, you know, the Lord's Supper, you know, I have a lot of great hope for all of us. So, um, we're going to pray, and we're going to go. No Bible study next week. We'll see everybody. 
um, December 3rd, maybe? So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.